this episode of uh, Christianity and Culture. Uh, my name is Lisa Cohn. I'm here with my friend Christian Baker. Hi. Uh, Hey, Christian. And so we are here to recap um, our most recent Theology at the Bottleworks event. Um, so for anyone who doesn't know, Theology at the Bottleworks is a monthly event. Um, used to be held at Schlafly Bottleworks. Now, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, we're virtual, but that hasn't stopped us. Um, and we gather on the third Wednesday of every month to discuss topics that are um, timely, controversial, meaningful, um, but really kind of the underlying theme of each topic is it is something that it asks um, or that, that encourages us to have conversations that matter and to ask about deeper things, kind of the why behind what we believe, not just what we believe. Um, so this topic that we talked about at our most recent Theology of the Bottleworks um, in December 2020 was very fitting. Um, we talked about the year 2020, mm-hmm. which I know for many of us has been one that um, has been exhausting, has been um you know, full of drama and um, loneliness and sadness and just kind of wondering, like, why is all of this happening? And some of those deeper existential questions that, um, you know, we are driven to to think about during, you know, times like this are, are some of the ones that we really focused on during this topic. Um, so I moderated and um, Christian, Christian attended and had some really, really great things to say. So I'm excited to be talking about um, this with him today. Um, so Christian, how are you? And, you know, how, how, where were you at coming into this conversation? Where were your expectations? What were you kind of, you know, thinking this kind of conversation would be? Well, I'm doing all right. Very excited to celebrate the end of the year and the start of a new year. I think a lot of us are. Um, at the time of the conversation, I had just finished my final exams for school and was back home. And so it, it lent itself to the kind of reflection that you, Lisa, were trying to facilitate in the conversation. Um, home, no more finals to study for, no more homework to do, just time with my family and some time just to think about how the year had been, how my first semester of school had been, had things lived up to my expectations. Um, and those were the kind of things that you uh, really uh, poignantly asked about in the conversation. Um, what made you uh, ask like those kinds of deep questions? Like, why do you hope? What is the source of your hope for the next year? Like, what prompted you to ask poignantly these questions? Yeah, no, I mean, I think part of it is just I'm the kind of person who wants to ask those questions all the time, but realizes it's not always socially acceptable to do that. Um, So I think, you know, this provided a a good opportunity. But I think especially this year, um, and everything that's happened, like, I have just had more and more conversations with people um, of, you know, either of faith, of no faith, of other faiths, like just a wide variety of worldviews who are just asking, like, why? I remember, like, early in the pandemic, I had I'm on a group thread with um, some friends like who, you know, I know professionally, I mean, and, and we're close friends now, so we have these conversations, but, um, you know, wide variety of like faiths and someone, you know, with no faith background was just like question for the Christians on the thread. Like, do you think this kind of thing, like 
pandemic, et cetera, happens for a reason. Like, it, you know, just legitimately earnestly like trying to make sense of this. Um, and that was back in like March or April, really early on. But I think as things have just escalated and um, continued, like on top of the pandemic, we have all the economic issues, we have all the political um, strife that came with the election and just kind of the nonstop drama of that. We had racial protests, just all of these things that like, in a normal year, like one of them would have been a lot, like all happening in the same year and just causing people to really like tape it, take a step back and, and wonder like, why is there a reason behind this? So, um, I think, I think it was a powerful opportunity to, um, you know, take a step back and, and talk about it. And I was really pleasantly surprised by how much people engaged with it. Cause you never know. I knew I was taking a risk with some of the deeper questions and and I know people were like kind of a little surprised to hear the deep questions, but they engaged and I was, you know, pleasantly surprised by that. Um, yeah. What was, what was your reaction to, to all the deep questions? Were you kind of put off by them or surprised or what was? Um, well, usually a, a lot of how these uh, bottle works conversations go, we start in the shallow end and then we get to the deep end and we kind of stay there for a bit. We might, return to the shallow end to end the conversation. We might just stay in the deep end. Um, but it felt like after the first question, which was just kind of, if I remember correctly, rattling off things that had happened in 2020. Um, after that question, it just got to the deep end and every question required me to give it some thought um, and attention and time. I couldn't just speak whatever was on my mind. You're asking very pointed things about where my hope comes from. And I can't just say, oh, it comes from it's not as simple as, Oh, Jesus is my hope. It's more complicated than that. There's more nuance to that or, um, other questions that you asked. Um, so I was not put off by them. I was pleasantly surprised and it was just the kind of reflection that I needed after such a whirlwind of final exams to just kind of settle down and allow myself time to think, um, about what I've gone through. And if there's a God that is sovereign, which I've, which I believe there is, then what does all this mean for me and my faith and my relationships? And what does it mean for these people on this call? Some of whom I don't really know that well. And how do I translate what I believe into something that's fruitful for conversation? So every question you asked kind of begged that kind of attention. So it just took me longer to answer. Um, I was surprised though by the, um, level of vulnerability by people who are talking about their politics and who felt that they entered this year believing one thing and having one fairly confident alignment with political parties. And then after this year, they found that belief, those affiliations kind of shaken a bit. I was very surprised by that level of vulnerability. We don't really see that often in the mainstream conversation about politics. Did you, what do you think about those comments? Cause they happened a lot throughout the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Several different people. Um, yeah, no, I was very surprised and, you know, very grateful that, that people are willing to be vulnerable in that way. Cause I think, um, you know, people it's, it's hard in this political climate where things are so polarized to kind of admit uncertainty in any way and just feeling we don't, you know, I think we all want to belong to in groups so badly, right? Like we all want to find our people and identify with them strongly. And like when you, you know, realize that for whatever reason, your people, you know, you're having a harder time identifying with them. I think it can be really hard to admit that. Um, and so I really appreciated that, that kind of humility. Um, and I think, you know, one of, one of the questions kind of got, you know, asked people what lessons they had been learning. And I think that question also kind of got at, 
you know, people's vulnerability, their humility of just, you know, I think years like this, like, you know, whatever, like we had a lot of questions of like, do the lessons make it worth it or not? Like that kind of thing, that, that kind of balance, but no matter what, you know, there are silver linings. We do learn things. And and I was really encouraged just to hear about, you know, all the reflection people were doing, all the things they were learning and just the vulnerability there. Um, and as, as you shared Christian too, just like the nuance there. Um, cause I think, you know, especially as a person of faith who also believes that there is a God who is sovereign and who is loving, like it can be really hard to square those things. And I think it can be, you know, we want some semblance of control. So we try to get these like neat answers and, and kind of throw cliches out there. Like everything happens for a reason, you know, those kinds of things. And, um, sometimes they can be really alienating to people who, you know, are kind of in the thick of it. Right. Who, you know, it doesn't seem like this is happening for a reason. And if so, like, what does that say about God's character that like, you know, we would be put through all this, you know, those, those are really, really hard questions that, that, you know, don't always, uh, you know, allow for neat answers. And so I was really thankful for um, your willingness and the willingness of a lot of people who were um, at the conversation to really just like kind of wrestle with that nuance and not like just, you know, share like a, a pat phrase and then kind of move on. Cause you know, that would have been a conversation ender. And I think, you know, things were a lot, you know, deeper than that, which, which I appreciated. Um, but I'm curious to hear from you. Do you, so you, you know, you talked a lot about your reflections, kind of what you have been, um, you know, thinking about since getting home for the holidays and reflecting on this past year, like what, what have some of those been and what have been some of the spiritual implications, if you will, of those? Um, yeah. Good question. Classic deep questions. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember you were like the first one who shared and I was so oh, yeah. grateful for that because at the beginning, like you never, again, you never know like who's going to share. And so like the fact that you just at the beginning were willing to put yourself out there like that, I know I was very grateful for. So figured you'd be willing to go first here too. Hopefully. Fair enough. Um, I feel like so, 2020 marked the first year since high school that I had been home for the longest period of time because um, I've been in college and I come home for the holidays and I go back to college and I'd be home for the summers, some of the summers. Um, so it was a very interesting after three and a half years of staying away from home and just being with my friends the majority of the time to then go and spend almost half of a year back with my family and adjusting to um being away from friends who I'd relied upon, being away from my church, uh, which I had gone to and enjoyed the community. And I had, and it, it made me um, un- understand how much I value my friends, but also remember the importance of my family in my life. Um, it's kind of, it, it would have been easy to kind of, you know, think about my family and the times I had as firmly in the past and now I'm growing up. And so I have a different relationship because I'm not necessarily a kid anymore. Um, but coming home and remembering that I love home cooked food. I love my parents cooking food and I love when we're able to laugh together. Like we spend hours just talking and laughing and watching movies and shows Um, And remembering that this is also a vital part of um, my life that I'm so happy I got the opportunity to enjoy um, this year, even though it was at the cost of 
my graduation from college and from senior plans and from summer opportunities, it was still refreshing to be reminded of, oh yeah, there's these people that are miles away who 100% support me um, and that I don't really have to start from scratch with that. Like that's firmly there. Um, so that was kind of the big, a big lesson that I had learned and coming back home again, um, and just remembering the last time I was coming back home, I didn't know how long it would be because it was March and all, a lot of my friends thought that this pandemic would only be for a few weeks. You know, we, we get through it and then we get back and I'd be able to walk across the stage and get my diploma and graduation pictures. Um, and that just reminded me of how much my parents and my brother support me. Um, so that's kind of one of the big lessons I learned this year, um, especially because the, I probably won't have this kind of experience again of being forced to kind of go back home at, for an extended period of time indefinitely. Um, so that's kind of been the big thing that I'm most reminded of. I'm actually sitting in my room right now um, and just all the memories of growing up in this room. Um, yeah. Uh, and I, I, I guess that makes it worth the silver lining of the pandemic in a way. Um, but yeah. How about you? You asked a lot of questions that night. So what lessons have you taken away or a big lesson you've taken away from this year? Yeah, no, I, yeah, it's, it's good for me to have to reflect on it more now and not just have to ask the questions. Um, so yeah, I think, you know, early on I was feeling just super kind of aimless and purposeless. Like I had all these, you know, they, all these plans, all these things that, um, you know, I, I'd hope for, especially um, in my job. I so for a career, I um, manage a program that helps people coming out of prison get employment. Um, we had a major second chance job fair planned um, at Shafitz Arena on April first, um, which would have had you know, a thousand people there. So clearly, you know, couldn't happen once things shut down. Um, but you know, I'd been working toward that for months, um, and and so when everything shut down, I was like, okay, well, like, what do I do now? Um, you know, and how do I continue to, to serve this population that like, you know, now the economy's bad that, you know, the help was needed more than ever, but it's so much harder to, to access people when things are all virtual. Um, so yeah, so I think there was just like a period of a couple of months where I just felt like super aimless and, and down and just like, you know, everything was over. And then, um, and then, you know, finally, as I started to kind of come out of that and brainstorm with other people, we came up with like a virtual job fair model that mm. um, ended up working surprisingly well. You know, there are a lot of challenges with, with that population, obviously, if, um, you know, don't always have technology access, but we were able to help people pre-record videos on their phones. They didn't have to like attend live or access Wi-Fi the day of. So they like pre-recorded video pitches for, um, for employers and um they were really like well done and, and moving and um and yeah and like the average job seeker had eight employers who was you know who were interested in them leaving. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah so it ended up working really well and um in some ways you know we had the feedback that we got from it afterwards where employers would say like this was so much better than like a normal job fair where you just get to meet people for like 30 seconds and then you have to talk to the next person like you just you got to meet people in like a more meaningful way, just getting these like two minute videos where people are really able to like put their best foot forward. Um, and so just like that happening, you know, it's like I never would have like thought to even try that if um, things hadn't gotten shut down and we just kind of done business as usual. But like when you have business as usual uprooted and you have to like 
really start from scratch and, and think through like new things. You make new discoveries and, um, you know, while it definitely doesn't make everything, you know, worth it. And we're going to have, you know, once this is all over, we'll have to figure out a way to, you know, do make in person even more effective. Like it was, I don't know, it was learning the lessons that we did and just seeing, um, you know, just being forced to, I think, be more creative and, and having that yeah. work out so well. Like, I think that just showed me how, um, and I think, you know, applies more generally outside of just work in terms of like, things can seem like, you know, they're hopeless to us, but there, there's a path forward. Um, and I think that, you know, spiritually to me is a, is a reminder, you know, of God's presence and God, you know, working things out in a way that I, I can't possibly plan. But um, yeah. True. Totally true. I mean, that reminds me of um, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven plans for you to prosper and that, that how the verse is to- spoken to people who are in exile, who are not in a predicament they want to be in, um, like far from it. And yet God's like, you're here. And even though you're far from home and you're far from how life is supposed to be, um, I want you to live and I want you to be creative and I want you to find ways to adjust and keep doing what you're doing um, just because life as you knew it, life as we know it now has kind of ended for a period of time that we don't know how long it's going to take. Doesn't mean that our lives are over. We still have life to live and there's a God who loves us and wants us to find creative ways to keep going. Like with the job fair, which I'm so glad it was successful because your work is very, very important. Thanks. Yeah. No, I love that you brought that verse in because I think it's it's super applicable here in that like those people at that time like wanted to be out of exile. Like that was the way that they like when they hear something like you you will prosper like that that was like the assumed meaning, right? Is that like you we will be taken out of exile and things will go back to the way they were before. And I think um, you know, I'm guessing a lot of us people of faith were kind of praying for for that to be how things went this year, right? Where things would kind of return to how they were before. Um and that obviously, you know, we're not there yet. And hopefully we will get, you know, there in twenty twenty one, knock on wood. But like it definitely, you know, we're definitely in that space of like, you know, God told them, no, you're going to be here for 70 years and you have to plant gardens and engage with people here and, and make the best of it and, and be faithful in that. And I think we're all learning, you know, what does it mean to be faithful in a situation that none of us would have chosen and that we all hope will go away soon. But, you know, in the meantime, there's still kingdom work to be done. And True. yeah. To- totally agree. I think one of the things that I talked about um, that night was about history and looking at history and seeing how things like this pandemic have happened before, whether it's in uh, the Spanish flu in the 20th century or uh, a previous epidemic, the century before that we've had, we've dealt with plagues and epidemics and pandemics before. It's not in theory new. Um, And so I, I, I personally kind of take a little bit of a comfort in that, that, some of humanity has found ways of innovating and surviving and learning from the lessons of the past and taking it into the present. And so that means that there, that even though it feels like the world is ending, it felt like the world was ending a century ago and that was a century ago. And I'm confident that the world will keep turning um, for the years to come, though it doesn't take away from the obvious human costs and social costs and economic economic costs that come with this pandemic and that people are bearing and it's straining um, resources, but it still shows that 
by and large, humanity is able to overcome these obstacles. Um, and the Bible kind of talks about that too, just with the exiles through now. Yeah, no, absolutely. But I think, you know, what you brought up, like it's so difficult, I think, to hold those things in tension. And that's, you know, where all these trite phrases come from that Christians often share of like, Mm -hmm. you know, we don't know how to actually like, you know, sit in the suffering and mourn it and and be fully upset about it while also being hopeful and and having that sense of perspective that you shared of like, okay, but bad things have also, you know, always happened. There will be a time, you know, when things are better and we believe that God will carry us through that. Like it is, you know, it's so hard to like hold those things in tension of like, yes, it's like a both and it doesn't have to be like, we sweep away the bad things or, you know, act yeah. like, you know, there was some, we have to be able to explain every single bad thing or say it was because we need these good, like, I don't know, to be able to, to hold those things um, is really, really challenging. And I know I've personally, you know, struggled with that a lot this year and just trying to like, you know, think, okay, some really amazing things have happened this year and I'm grateful for them. And I've learned a lot of really important lessons, but like that also doesn't bring 330,000 people back or comfort their family members or give people their jobs back that they were holding for 30 years before now or give people their businesses or bring George Floyd back or, you know, like any of that. And so, you know, how do we like hold those things in tension is, is something I personally wrestle with. I don't know about you, but Oh, totally. That's, that's been the struggle of this year. How do I hold intention? The fact that I, like, for example, that I graduated from college and that is a accomplishment in and of itself that I'm very proud of. And at the same time, I didn't get a ceremony. I didn't get anything associated with that. Just, just the fact that I got it or uh, missing birthday parties for friends or celebrations of other friends or even when I was able to be in person with people, it'd be with masks and social distance and the cost of that. Um, or just in general with social costs and what happened in July with, um, I think it was July with a lot of the racial tensions unfolding and holding the tension of there is a just fight for civil rights that's still going on and also maybe the means that some people are using are not the means that I would prefer and how do I hold those it's there's never really been a right answer I feel like the bible is kind of just a text of people trying to hold those tensions together um and it's just it's it's messy at times I mean humans were made in God's image we bear the image of God and yet at the same time we're fundamentally broken by sin. And that's a tension that is hard that we can't, I, I know I can not really fully grasp at any one time, but they're both true. Um, and I, I think it took half the summer before I realized that I'm not going to arrive at any, uh, golden answer that will solve my questions and make me at peace with what's going on. And that the solution perhaps just to kind of live in the tension that you've been talking about, just to kind of be here, know that God knows more than I do and just let him be the omniscient one. And let me be the human being that is trying to be faithful as much as I can be. Yeah. No, I, I think you said that really poignantly, that um, living in that tension is 
is, you know, where we need to be, but it is so hard. And I think, you know, and I think it's a good thing that we want to make sense of it and that we want to have answers. And that I think there is something in that quest for answers that does, you know, draw us closer to God and to other people. And so, you know, that, you know, that process is important, but also like not letting our quest for answers, you know, kind of let us accept easy answers, I guess, that are are gonna, um, you know, stunt us rather than actually, you know, push us forward. Um, I love, so in my closing, I kind of, um, focused on, on that tension between, you know, trying to make sense of suffering and joy at the same time and, um, quoted Bowler who wrote an awesome book called Uh, everything happens for a reason and other lies I've loved. And, um, it's about her experience. She was, um, a professor at Duke Divinity School until at age 35, she was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. Um, and, and just like the whole book is about her trying to process that level of suffering and just, you know, process mortality, frankly, and something Mm -hmm. she never really thought about. Um, and, and she wrote in that book, quote, um, I can't reconcile the way that the world is jolted by events that are wonderful and terrible, the gorgeous and the tragic except that I am beginning to believe that these opposites do not cancel each other out. I see a middle-aged woman in the waiting room of the cancer clinic, her arms wrapped around the frail frame of her son. She squeezes him tightly, oblivious to the way he looks down at her sheepishly. He laughs after a minute, a hostage to her impervious love. Joy persists somehow, and I soak it in. The horror of cancer has made everything seem like it's painted in bright colors. I think the same thoughts again and again. Life is so beautiful life is so hard. I don't know. That just like <laughs> wrecks me every time. I, I don't know. It's just, you know, that those two, those two phrases, life is so beautiful. Life is so hard are so true. And you know, they, it's a miracle, you know, they can coexist at the same time. And I think that's always, you know, I get so shaken, you know, my faith gets so shaken by a lot of the stuff, you know, that's happened this year when I see suffering like this, you know, I, like many people like ask those questions, like how could a good God allow this to happen or cause this to happen or when, you know, whatever, (laughs) whatever his relationship with that is. Um, but I think what always kind of brings me back is just like, just the fact that like, in spite of all the bad, there is still that good. And that somehow, like, as she said, joy persists in the midst of all this stuff that like, I don't know, like if there's not a God like doing that, like, I don't know how that, you know, all that joy could possibly persist despite all of the harm and suffering that we see in this world. Like that is just, you know, such a, such a glimpse of undeserved grace for me that, um, you know, it continues to bring me back every time that I'm questioning these things. Totally agree. And I remember, I mean, just the power of those two lines, life is so beautiful, life is so hard, just any year, those are true, uh, especially this year. Um, And I remember when I heard it that night at the Bowerworks, I was just, it put words to, it put words to feelings I felt all year. It's like, how can both be true? And the answer is because both are true. Um, And the beautiful thing about I guess our faith is that we're able to like, we know who wins in the end. We know that God, that ultimately there will be a time when there will be no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, no more disease. Um, And that realization just makes me and can make us 
eagerly await that day. And even when we're faced with all of, or at least most of the bad things the world can throw at us, like the, in 2020, um, it's it just serves as a reminder as well that these things exist for now. There is a termination to this in the end, and that if the God we believe exists is all powerful, which he is, then he transcends this period of time that we have that is so strenuous and so hard. Um, it doesn't take away from the suffering, but it adds, but it validates the suffering and says that's real. And God believes it's so bad that he's going to get rid of it one day for good. Um, sometimes I want it to be now, like it'd be nice, but, <laughs> yep. but I'll, I'll take what I can get. I'll take what I can get. Yeah, I think you shared a very, that was a very poignant quote that you shared with us. And there's a good note to end the conversation on that night. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And, and yeah, and I think what you shared about having that ultimate hope as Christians is, is, you know, amazing. And I'm, I'm so glad that that got brought up during the conversation and that, um, yeah, because I, I think that is so something that Christian theology, you know, uniquely offers and um, is, is so important, especially in a year like this of trying to make sense of all of this and trying to live in, in what is, you know, an awful right now and maintain some sort of hope that doesn't just feel like wishful thinking, but is, mm-hmm. you know, promise from God. So, you know, I'm really grateful for that. Um, so uh, as we start to to wrap up, I, I think we should kind of end on um, I, the last question of the night was talking about like, what is your hope for 2021? Um, which for us now starts in, um, I guess, nine hours, my time, 10 hours, your time. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I would love to hear from you, Christian, like what, what is your hope for 2021 and where does that come from? I think the, the, on the surface level, um, I have a hope to watch a hundred movies next year. Um, (laughs) which is, yeah, I watched a, I had a goal, that goal this year and I met it and I'm going to do it again. Um, but on a more serious, um, note, um, I'm trying not to put hope in things per se. Um, cause it'd be too easy. And t- for me, at least a little bit, uh, self-deceptive to say that my hope is from purely in the vaccines, though I hope the vaccines are effective or my hope is in, uh, American politics. Once all the election dust finally settles, even though that could be good, it, it's not a sure thing. Um, I think I, hope that I remain faithful uh, in the midst of everything. Now that like, now that I quote unquote know what I'm getting myself into in 2021 um, with the pandemic and everything that 2020 has left to be resolved at a later point in time. Um, I'm hope, I hope that, um, that, that the, the spirit empowers me and that my church empowers me and that my community strengthens me and supports me for when the questions get really hard or the suffering gets unbearable or I feel too isolated that um, they come in and sh- point me in the direction of love and God and everything else. Um, I'm too nervous to put hope in other things because I know based on this year that um, putting my hope in 
uh, in things like celebrations and things that I think are firmly set in stone can too easily just disappear um, or be delayed at least. So I think that is my hope. I'm trying not to put my hope into things that I think I'm confident in. I'm just trying to put hope in um, uh, for when things get hard that I have the support to just to bear it, I guess. Um, I hope that made sense. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and uh, yeah, I can absolutely identify with um, what you said in terms of being af- almost afraid to hope too much for certain things. Um, I, I think, you know, any other new year, I, you know, would have this long list of things that I was hoping for, for the following year. And I think this one of the lessons from this year is that, in in a second, your plans can be completely derailed, and yeah. um, everything that you were previously hoping for, um, you know, can completely um, feel lost. Um, but there is a new confidence, I think, that you pointed to that comes from that. Of like, you know, even when you have lost all these, you know, specific plans that you've made, um, just like there, there are still people. Like you still have like loved ones and relationships and people who are there for you in the questions, in the, in, you know, the hardship and working through that. And I think, um, you know, I identify with that as well. Of Like my, you know, I, I hope things go well with the vaccine and the pandemic ends. I hope that, um, you know, politically things, you know, return to some level of peace, but you know, what I know of, of human nature and all those things, you know, there's no guarantees there. There's true, <laughs> still true. a lot of brokenness, you know, no matter what. And there was a lot of brokenness before 2020. I think, you know, 2020 made a lot of things in apparent that were always there under the surface. And um, I think, you know, those things will continue to persist even when the pandemic is over. And so, um, you know, having, having hope in, um, you know, as, as you said, a, a God who's in charge of all of it and that ultimate hope at the end, but that we also get glimpses of, you know, that, that happy ending that we get, um, in, in the near term. And that often comes with meaningful relationships with people who are there through all of the changes in plans and through the feelings of hopelessness and the questions, and the wondering why and the suffering. And, um, so yeah, I think that's, that's my hope for 2021 as well that, um, you know, no matter what happens and hopefully it'll be better than 2020. But even if it's not that, um, you know, we can all continue to, to grow and, you know, love for, for each other and for our communities and continue to make this world a little bit more like, um, like the kingdom that God created. So amen Amen to that. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess on that note, thank you guys all for listening. Um, We look forward to, to seeing you again in our next episode of Christianity and Culture.